This episode of See Here was recorded dead before a live audience. See here, my name is Morris, and across the virtual table, I have the new permanent member, not a guest member, permanent member, Senior mm-hmm. Stickwell, aka Bernie Sticky. Uh, good evening, Morris. Good evening, uh, Tim. And uh, good evening, <laughs> everybody out there. And across the vast expanse of the other side of the planet, well, not really, he's actually probably the closest to me out of anyone who I've spoken to that's not on the Australian mainland. Mr. Tim Merrill, good evening. Hey, good evening. Good evening, everybody out there. Or good now, morning, whatever it may be. Now, for regular listeners of both episodes of the, the show till now, you'll notice that we are missing one member, the lovely, lovely Wendy Freeman. But right now, she's playing in a drum-off against... Neil Pert, Dave Lombardo. Is that any relation <laughs> to Guy? How about... Uh, Sheila E. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, Wendy Freeman is doing a drum-off against Sheila E. And, and uh, a, I think Mel Grover from win. Melvin's as well. Mm-hmm. And I think, I think Bunny Carlos is in the mix, too. Oh, no, she <laughs> wouldn't be playing against Bunny Carlos. Actually, I was thinking of spreading the rumour that the reason that she's not on the show tonight <laughs> is because she's busy getting married to Matthew Sweet. Uh, ah... No, we'll, go I thought you were, we'll go with one of them. I thought you were going to say she was going to get married to Bunny Carlos, which would make her Wendy Carlos, but Wendy Carlos <laughs> is actually... Oh. <laughs> <laughs> That's a whole different story entirely. Oh, brilliant. Oh, God. I'm going to have to throw it out. Hang on, does that mean she needs water? It's, uh, I'm confused now. You confused me, guys. Yeah, oh. Walter. Walter, Wendy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we'll yeah. have to ask her next time she's on. Yes, which yeah. will hopefully be on episode four. We're gonna have to find a really hard film for her to analyze because you know right. she's gonna take time off. You know she's gonna pay the price. <laughs> right. Anyway, so the whole if if this is the first time you're listening to this podcast, we discuss music-related <laughs> films. That's what we're here for because everyone discusses genre films and horror films, and that's all wonderful and fine, but we didn't think anyone was discussing music-related films on a regular basis. And, well, we're big music fans and we're big film fans, so we're combining the two. Uh, Go back through the archives of our two previous episodes. We do this on a monthly basis, and we have a lot of fun, and we hope that you do too. So um, uh, today's film, we're going to be discussing from, is it 2006? I should have looked this up, but 2006's film by Robert Altman, his last as it turns out, and, and that's mm-hmm. pretty relevant to the theme of the film, uh, A Prairie Home Companion, and like most Robert Altman films, it's a real ensemble affair. We'll um, go into that in a few minutes, but uh, briefly, how you guys been? What you been listening to? What you been watching? Well, go ahead, Bernie. Uh, Tim, what, 
Yeah, no, okay. Uh, well, um, I mentioned to you briefly yesterday, Morris, I uh, saw Kelly Stoltz and his band in concert uh, a week or two ago uh, in a sort of dingy pub basement, um, and it was absolutely fantastic. Uh, it was tiny, there was about 70 people, which pretty much ran the place. Mm-hmm. Um, and he just did a great set, really personable, funny guy, really talented musician, songwriter. Um, and it was just a, a fantastic evening. I totally recommend you check out his new LP, uh, Double Exposure, if uh, you can find a copy. I think it might be vinyl only. Okay. Uh, but yeah, absolutely oh, that's fantastic. that's so hipster. Vinyl well, well only. you know, what can I say? I'm a hipster. Kelly's a hipster. Uh, so, you know. Oh, gosh. But uh, yeah, great. Absolutely great. And I've got to be honest, I've not listened to a huge amount of his stuff before, but seeing him live, I've already dived into his back catalogue. So, uh Nice. Can't recommend him highly enough. Kelly Stoltz. Put up a couple of uh, links on the Love That Album Facebook page or the Feed yes, I will Facebook do. page. I will do, yes. Um, so, but other than that, I've just been you know, kind of working, buying records, working some more, and buying some more records. So. That's, you, man, you are living the good life. That is what we all <laughs> live for, I think. I try. Tim, what's, what's oh, new in your world? Not a hell of a lot. I mean, you know, just the same as it ever was, same as it ever was. Um, no, I, I was actually watching. Uh, I've kind of made it, uh, made it a kind of a mission this year to kind of watch things that really inspire, things that you know, not not so much just watch things for the sake of watching them, but really watch things that kind of you know. Uh, get the motor running so to speak and i watched a uh, a documentary called uh, spark about uh, burning man okay in, in um, you know in the desert in um, california there that there's this huge festival they hold once a year and the documentary was kind of about you know the group of creative uh, people that you know were based out of san francisco and you know a collective of artists and just free thinkers and everything and this kind of thing kind of blew up bigger than they anticipated and what happened was initially it was just a uh, you know a bunch of people that would collectively go out in the desert for uh, you know three or four days and just create art installations and live out there and just have fun and kind of set their own rules. But then once word got out, then it just kind of you know virally blew up. And then what happens is you know the people that initiated it find out that they're losing kind of control of what they they created because more and more people want to be a part of it. And you can't you can't turn people away after you know they find out that it's out there, and it, you know and it's not kind of like this thing about where well we were here first fuck you man you know like it's none of that it's just kind of like you know the initial people that started had an idea or they had kind of a certain thing in mind where you know uh, but then what happens is that as more and more people kind of you know collectively attach themselves to a concept or an idea or an event you lose control of how it's kind of interpreted or how how it's kind of played out and then there you know you run into all the problems of that so i mean and i think this is a big issue that comes in with music too because i think a lot of artists a lot of bands you know that when more and more people kind of tune in to what you're doing it can really alter a lot of bands where bands some bands can say well we don't care whether two people are listening or a million people are listening we're still going to do what we're going to do or else you get these people that kind of cater to the growing collective audience, and then it really screws things up. So but, I hope. But, so it, it, I mean, I don't know whether how I feel about you know something like that. Whether uh, do do um, artists necessarily cater to the growing audience, or 
I mean, you get no, a lot of artists, artists who, who sort of like diversify in another sort of way and then they claim, well, this is the way I was going anyway. Are they right. always doing it to be popular or some artists just sort of happen to go in a way that strikes a chord with, I'm just, with uh, the public I, at large? I'm just kind of saying that it's it, it, um, that sometimes when great things begin and, and then more and more people kind of become aware of them, a lot of times the artists are actually unintentionally or intentionally kind of swayed by, you know, the collective, you know, that's all it sure. is. I mean, yep. Yep. and that, and that's, you know, that's a big problem, you know, I mean, like, like, for example, you know, like you look at the original Woodstock in 69 and it was all just, you know, kind of an accident how it blew up to be so big. And then when they went and tried to, you know, like recreate it, in you know like the Woodstock uh, 2000 or whatever it was or uh, it was just a, it was chaos it was a mess because you know you can't you can't just kind of try to recreate something like that it, it you know and they, there was fires and there was people you know it, it was just it, it it broke down into this kind of Lord of the Flies scenario <laughs> I don't yeah, know if you guys remember that, that. There was a lot of uh, terrible new uh, new metal type bands playing you put right skit on uh, Woodstock too you're just asking for trouble you know. Right, douchebag soundtrack, and there you go. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, I suspect a, a lot of what happens, and this is what happens with um, with reboots of movies too. I think is that, or or, or, for, or maybe when they're making a movie of something that was a popular television show, that the uh, the makers of that say, right, we get what made this movie slash this form of music, this festival, whatever the creative endeavor was. We understand what made people like that in the first place so that's what we're going to do when in fact they have it wrong all along they they don't sort of understand what the motivation was for creating that original endeavor and they come up with something far too contrived and right. hence that's what's uh that's where they uh that's where they fuck up i think I sometimes think with, too uh, with, go ahead bernie I, I think with uh with the you know whether it be a piece of art or music or even something like a festival and the idea behind the festival uh, a lot of the time you can't necessarily put your finger on why it works and what makes it work for each specific person and right. the relationship they have with that thing. And, you know, it's something that you can't bottle and you can't, you know, recreate years later. In a, right. A well, that's kind of what I'm, it's kind of like what I'm trying to say. And I, I think yeah, too, absolutely. there, there's kind of a, there's kind of a zeitgeist at the time too. Yeah. There's and a whole combination of factors, isn't it? Yeah, and you right, just right. take it down into its component parts and think, well, if we add A to B, then we're going to get right. C. It's, it's, it's never right. as simple as that, you know? Right, right, right. And I mean, like I say, there's kind of a kind of a gauge of, of the time that it, it kind of occurs, you know? Like, I mean, when things come out. I mean, yeah. like, for, ex for example, you know, I mean, it, if the Stooges had put out, you know, they're, you know, Funhouse in the late 70s instead of the early 70s. I mean, it would have been a different thing entirely, you know, yeah, but it came out, it, it, it came out at a time where it was just like, you know, like it was the zeitgeist at that time. It, like it combined, it was just perfect for that time, you know, but I mean, that's, that's what kind of what I'm trying to say though, is like, you know, it, it, it's a, it's basically a fool's game where you never know, like you never, you never know. Like, I mean, so there's some things that come out and you think that's never going to go anywhere or that's, you know, or no one's ever going to, gonna you know, like, for example, the Flaming Lips. I remember listening to those guys years ago and, I'm, and I kept thinking, no way in hell anybody's going to listen to this. 
or the butthole surfers on the radio. I think no way in hell anybody's going to listen to this. You know, like that's insane. And lo and behold, there you go. You know, yeah, that's <laughs> okay. funny. All right. So um, briefly, what have I been watching? Uh, well, I've seen a seen a few films, but just like I'll go uh, last night. I sat up and watched a film I hadn't watched since uh, since childhood, and that was The Mouse That Roared with oh, uh, nice. Peter, Peter Sellers and Gene yeah. Seberg and um, oh, I've forgotten his name. He, he was in, he was in Help. Uh, Kylie. Um, yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, the the uh, Rumpel of the Bailey. Rumpel, Rumpel the Bailey. Yeah, um, yeah. Um, um, Leo McCann, Leo McCann, who, who had yeah. a you know, sort of you know a terribly small role in it, but. Um, but uh, man, yeah, that was a nice, funny uh, political satire. I mean, and uh, huh. the the three roles it was sort of you know preparing for you know only what five years later when he did uh, Doctor Strangelove. Um, right, but, right. But is, you know, they're going. You know, you know what's really funny about the mouse that roared is that I don't know if you guys uh, recall, but last year it kind of got tense around my neck of the woods between North and South Korea. Uh, yeah, really. I think we recall that. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, and the North was really pushing their luck, and they were really, you know, and they'd even bombed into the South on an island out here, and uh, everybody was all getting up in arms, and everybody thought, oh shit, oh shit, like this is it, this is it, you know, and even some of the embassies were telling people, like, hey, hey, you know, like, you know, just please let us know where you are, just in case, you know, whatever, and everyone said to me, well, you're cu- uh, cool as a cucumber, like, what the hell, man, this doesn't bother you, and I said, no, it's the most that roared. Yeah, I, I remember we did have that conversation. You said, "Don't yeah. believe the media; it's business as usual." It's just right. a media media beat up. I remember it was huge. Yeah. There, there was a, yeah. there was a lot of say. Oh, the, the media were making up the saber rattling and right, um, but it was the most that roared though. Yeah, you know yeah, they, yeah. the North knew they were in no position to do anything, and they just basically were making as much noise as possible to get reparations. You know, to get kind of more rice dropped off from the United States anywhere else. You know? But anyway. <laughs> I didn't mean to make this political. I was just saying oh, that absolutely. when you talk, when you mentioned that movie, I thought it was kind of funny. Well, no, we can be political. You know, musicians get political, mm-hmm. like your man Bono. I mean, you know, that's it's, oh. it's, it, it all comes back to that. Yeah. And uh, I've been listening. a lot of good work for charity as well, of course. Oh, he, so. he, yeah. And and Bono's. T- I think I might. I can't remember if I mentioned this on a podcast or just in conversation with you guys. But Bono's sort of become like. Elvis Costello, he turns up at the opening of an envelope nowadays. <laughs> can I can, can I make a suggestion? Sure. Can we? Can somebody please throw him a parade in Dallas? Oh, that, oh I'm gonna have to edit that out. That's that's we're gonna get we're gonna get into big trouble if you say things like that. Ooh, particularly Lord. when he gets assassinated in two weeks' time, the FBI are gonna be all over us. Oh right? no! But, and, and you know the worst part about it, Tim, is someone will make a documentary about it. Yeah, and then and then we can sing with or without you. <laughs> it's all, I'm, I'm, I'm going to do a. You remember uh, Sticky, um, that uh, character in on the Kenny Everett video show, Cupid's Stunt, and he always used to cross <laughs> yes, his face and say, "It's all done in the best possible taste." <laughs> so we're doing one of those. You had right. Kenny Everett in Australia. Oh bloody every. When I when I came home from school, it was like compulsory video hour was actually Kenny Everett video show at six o'clock, followed at six thirty by a pair that Tim for sure would remember, which was um, Wayne and Schuster. Yeah, yeah. So and yeah. I, I remember what was the Kenny Everett when Kenny Everett they had that the cartoon that space it was like Star Wars takeoff. Kremlin of the Star Corps. Right, Kremlin of the Star Corps. Yeah, yeah. Well, you, you know, know you know who he was best mate. 
Oh, go ahead, Bernie. Oh, the, when um, the, the Village People movie, Can't Stop the Music, opened in the UK in, what, 78, 79, whenever it was? Yeah. Uh, it was on a double bill with the Captain Kremen movie. <laughs> Can you believe that? <laughs> That's insane. Wow. Actually, no, be, I was too uh, young to see it at the time, of course. But right, I, I at, our, at our repertory cinema here, the So Bad It's Worth Seeing double feature uh, very recently was uh, Can't Stop the Music and Xanadu. Wow. At, at the time, we should, uh, we should do Can't Stop the Oh, jeez. Is, is that your official choice for next month? It's not. I have something else, but okay, maybe for right. down the line. Ne- next time, that, next that time around. such a film. Well, you, you know what's really funny about Kenny Everett, though, that a lot of people don't realize? You know who his best mate was? Freddie Mercury. Freddie Mercury, yeah. yeah. Well, he, he appeared on he appeared on the show. Well, they, they both uh, sort of donned the leathers. You know, Kenny Everett was doing his Sid Snow right. routine. And, <laughs> right. And Freddie Mercury jumped him. It was, yeah, very... Yeah. Right. Uh, I watched Cruising again last week. Oh. <laughs> Put that in there. <laughs> that's, that's an appropriate time to mention that. <laughs> All right, uh, uh, that, night, but that's a different story. that 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 gives us the perfect opening to uh, go to a commercial. I think it does. Uh, we'll be back. An opening uh, of some kind. Uh, oh, this is, <laughs> hang on, you're listening to Silver and Gold. Um, <laughs> and, oh no, shit, sorry. No, you're listening to See Here podcast with Tim Sticky and myself. And we'll be back in a couple of minutes after a couple. Of, I, I think I'll have to put in a Silver and Gold ad at this point. We'll be back. I'm going to go in. Uh, I'm going to go wash my hands as well, I think. (laughs) Thank you, Pontius Pilate. If you like westerns, comedies, foreign films, horror movies, action-adventure, and classic cinema, well, we don't have much of that, but if you like ass, titties, farting, burping, puffy nipples, poop, taboo porn, muffin tops, comic books, wrestling, mustaches, pie smashed on butts, cheese, taking baths, butt sex, gagging, milk, and the American flag, check out the Silva and Gold podcast. We're the morons your mom warned you about while she was sitting on your face. Silva and Gold. We talk about movies and shit. Find us on iTunes or silverandgold.com. All time top 10. Top 10 cheesy love songs. This song showcases everything that is awesome about Journey. Bombastic, tailor-made for the arena. Everyone's got their lighter out. Steve Perry's got his beautiful mane of hair and he's singing about being on the road. Top 10 rock trios. Dinosaur Jr., Jay Maskus, and Lou Barlow, and drummer Murph. The loudest band I've ever yeah. seen. Top 10 songs about the devil. My number eight is not the greatest song in the world. <laughs> <laughs> it's just a tribute. Fair um, enough. This is Tenacious G. Top 10 breakup songs. What's your number four? I gotta do um, the replacements answering machine. Nice. Not only is it about the distance, he's using the distance as a metaphor, you know, sort of like where it's like the, the relationship's gotten to a point where he's trying to connect with somebody and the extent of the communication is leaving a message on your machine. Top 10 rock wordsmiths. Randy Newman. In a lot of his songs, he plays like a narrator, but the narrator in these songs tells stories, but the narrator doesn't always tell the truth, or he has kind of a skewed version of the story. Telling. That's a human foible. That's what we tend to do. Top 10 sports anthems. A little ditty called Jump Around. Yes. Not. Easily like 20 to 30,000 students jumping up and down at the same time. It is awesome. Number 10. Nine, seven, five, four, three, one. With your host, 
Ben Eisen. All time top ten. Well, what do you reckon we sing a song, Dusty? Well, let's do it, Lefty. One, two, you know what to do. I'm just an old cowboy with twigs in my hair. Two-thirds alligator and three-quarters bear and one-half a lion. But let it be known, I never told one lie that was not my own. Whoopie-tie-io. Get along, little doggy. And we're back from break. Morris here, Tim there, Sticky even further over there. Uh, and uh, thank you very much for your company. Hope you're enjoying the program thus far. Never mind that we degenerated into some uh, questionable material there. But, you know, that's we, we, we live to be like, um, like our, our role models uh, over at the Silver and Gold podcast. Uh, so... Anyway, as I said before, we're going to be talking on this episode about the film A Prairie Home Companion, which came out in 2006, directed by one, one Robert Altman, uh, his final film as it turned out, but another fine ensemble film from him. Before we get into talking about uh, the film and the radio show that inspired it, uh, let's give a little bit of an IMDb storyline. Actually, they've gone and written something quite big, so I'll just... Summarized in their summary, a prairie home companion hosted by humorist Garrison Keeler is a is a down home radio variety show recorded and performed live in front of an audience in a theatre in St Paul, Minnesota. Uh, a show from another era, a prairie home companion has been cancelled, which is fictitious because it's still going. The regulars are performing on the last show, including Dusty and Lefty singing guitar playing cowboys with a risque sense of humour, and the Johnson Girls, a sister singing duo of Rhonda and Yolanda, who have penchant for taking over each other. As the show goes on, the regulars backstage talk about their lives in relation to the show. Look, there's, it's, it's too long. Anyway, basically, you got the idea. It's the last episode of this radio show, but not everyone is aware of it. And there's a very mysterious, very leggy blonde walking through the theatre. We'll get to those characters further on uh, down the road. So before we get to talking about the film itself, I, I, I have to say that... In Australia, we I, I get we didn't sort of uh, get this on the radio or on TV. I believe that this had been televised as well. So I'll um, I'll get you, Tim, to uh, fill in some of the background details about the history of the real Prairie Home Companion before we talk about its fictitious counterpart. All right. Well, I'm not going to profess to be any type of expert about Prairie Home Companion, but I'll tell you this right now is that um, public radio, PBS, in the United States. Uh, they ran Garrison Keillor's show for many, many years. And I think it was every Sunday afternoon they would have their live recording. And it was actually done in a theater. I mean, like, you know, this was, you know, multimedia presentation. Right. So, I mean, you know, they, they put out CDs later on, and then they had the theater, you know, the, the live audience, and then they had the recordings and everything. And... You know, they would incorporate, they would actually have the audience, you know, submit questions or letters and they would go town to town and they would have the, the traveling road show and they would do it. And Keeler, you know, this guy, if anyone really doesn't, uh, you know, has a, has an idea of who Garrison Keeler is or, or they don't have an idea, I'm sorry. He had a voice like Wilford Brimley, kind of. Mr. Diabetes, you know. he's got, He's got this real monotone voice and... He could he could talk about the most mundane things and make it sound interesting. Like he could say, you know, 
Well, yesterday I ate a bread muffin, and as a result, today I had a movement. It was long <laughs> and thick, like a Cuban cigar, quite like one that Fidel Castro would smoke. You know, and I mean, he he would just take the most mundane, you know. But the but the people that he he loved and the people that he embraced were the mundane people, and I mean, not not to say they were boring, not to say that you know they were dead end people, but his people were the small town folk and the country folk and, you know, the people that got together every Friday evening for the fish fry and every Saturday night for the bingo and every, you know, Sunday afternoon for that good old Hootenanny revival. You know, like, I mean, this is the kind of thing, like, and this is what really made him so kind of heartfelt to a lot of, you know, rural Americans is, is that he, he knew them because he was them. Mm-hmm. And he and he and he took this whole thing on the road, and you know, and he and he would even like I say, like the minute details, you know, uh, like even for example, I know we're going to talk about the film later, but when he's doing the commercial for the Norwegian pickled fish, oh, I was just thinking about that one. Yeah. Yep. Are you tired of your current herring? Has it lost that certain something that you expect in a pickled fish product? If so, maybe it's time you try Jens Jensen. It's the Lake Superior herring that's made the old-fashioned Norwegian way. Jeg husker den regn for laften. Jeg smed dig ud. Du vandrede til øst og vest. Det er min skam. Det er min skyld. Jens Jensen herring is the best. Oh, Jens Jensen. Ask for it by name, and if your grocer doesn't stop it, ask him why not. Jens Jensen, spelled with a J, pronounced like a Y. Why? Just because it just is, that's all. That's that's part of, you know, like, I mean, what they did. Because, I mean, where you think about where, where it came from, Prairie Home Companion, was, you know, there, there was a lot of Scandinavians, you know. The cultural makeup of the area was a lot of the Scandinavian Norwegians and everything else, but... But I think, you know, Prairie Home Companion in itself became an institution because of Garrison Keillor at the core. And like I said, he was almost like uh, like a modern Mark Twain, where he, he could just tell these fantastical yarns and he was long in the tooth and he would just go on and on about everything. But people were just, you know, like they were they were there for every word, every everything that he did. They were people were just enamored with with everything that he did. Well, not for no reason, I guess, then, that the uh, film was, or the the, uh, the concert that they show in the film was set in the F. Scott Fitzgerald Theatre, and there's this one moment where the ghost of F. Scott Fitzgerald looms large over uh, Tommy Lee Jones, but um, right. I guess we can come to that shortly. The film in itself, this is a really heavy, this is one of the first meta things that I, I can really think of. I mean, like, they're ahead of their time when Altman put this out and sadly like you said it was his last film but i mean it's it's like you know they had a live audience during the film and i think they did it as a radio recording as well and so i mean while it was recorded as a film it was also multimedia like the whole the whole presentation the whole shebang was all multimedia so what i'm what i'm saying is that you know you could listen to it on the radio. They had it as the film. I think there was a live recording on CD of of the whole final show, like like the way Altman did it. I mean, it it was one of the first meta things too. See, okay, so th- what I was gonna say, I mean, when I picked this film, 
it was uh, it was an unknown entity to me. It was just I knew it was a film that I'd always wanted to see, and I thought this is a good excuse. It was you know about a, a group of musical performers in this show in this theatre, and really I guess the film is less of a um, story about music and more of a uh, story about death, you know, both literally and metaphorically. And um, But I find it interesting, though, that it never gets morbid. So I, I guess your, uh, your, your summary about it being a, a metaphor and its rumination on death is uh, really quite interesting. Yeah, I, and I mean, I don't want to get too far into, you know, without talking about the film yet, but to me, there's a lot of connections to something like... I. I don't know about you guys, but I had the feeling about uh, of things like uh, Woody Allen's uh, Broadway Danny. R- no, not uh, Purple Rose of Cairo. That was okay. the one. where that you know he came right out of the screen. You yep. know there was this character that was larger than life, and and while they you know and, and again it's kind of that same paradigm where you there's a theater, there's an audience, but then there's things going on that they're not quite aware of, and then there's things that. They're, you know, sharing with the audience, and then there's things they're not sharing with the audience. So, I mean, you know, to me, it, it really, I had initial feeling of, like I say, like Woody Allen's film, you know, yeah. uh, Purple Rose of Cairo. You know, it's, it's that, that, that was... the Muppets, though. Well, I was I was going to say that there were three <laughs> things that came to my mind. First of all, was the Muppet Show, and, and I mean, in a way, maybe the Muppet Connection is a little superficial, and yet maybe not, because you know both the Muppet Theatre and the Fitzgerald Theatre uh, encapsulate a form of live entertainment that's really long been passed over by uh, the rest of the entertainment world. You know, be it that live radio family shows or vaudeville or whatever you want to call it. And yeah, there's moments that the audience sees and there's moments that we, the cinema or in the Muppets case, the TV viewing audiences that the theater audience, the, the show within the show never see. The other film that came to my mind and um, I, I'd be very surprised if this didn't come to either of your minds was uh, Bob Fosse's film, All That Jazz. It's showtime, folks. Uh, right. The, the connection there was in in the film he had uh, Roy Scheider as Bob Fosse's surrogate. You know this hardworking director who's working himself to death, and he's a you know a drinker or a womanizer, but he's living for that that great theatrical moment. And the the obvious link between the two is the Angel of Death. In the case of um, all that jazz, it was Jessica Lange, and in the case of uh, A Prairie Home Companion, it was Virginia Madsen. And I, I got to tell you, if, uh, if that's the angel of death, well, then, you know, maybe, you know, the end of days isn't such a bad thing. I, I found that an interesting sort of analogy. I, I thought, well, sorry, in, interesting sort of comparison. Those two films work. And also, um, I don't know, either of you ever fans of uh, Northern Exposure, the TV show? I guess the, the Northern Exposure connection for me, I guess, would, I, I, it could be very subjective, but it's more stylistic rather than anything sure. that you've actually seen on the screen. But sure. both, both um, Prairie Home Companion, the film, 
and Northern Exposure are both sort of very gentle drama ensemble comedies and right. that both have uh, a, a fond love of the surreal uh, I don't recall whether there was ever an angel of death or anything like that in Northern right. Exposure but there's all these surreal moments all the dreamlike moments you know where, where uh, Maggie or, or or Joel Fleischman uh, having these you know, very strange uh, erotic dreams about each other but in a very surreal sort of way but as a, right. as the show went on I mean I don't know if you recall and I won't spoil it in case um, anyone wants to see it and hasn't seen it but Joel Fleischman's exit out of the show was completely surreal and the sort of right. thing that was very much in the spirit I think of uh, Prairie Home Companion but those are the sort of things that came now, to my mind this might be a stretch but I mean the one other thing that one other film that I really got a feeling about with this was, um, believe it or not, was uh, Phantom of the Paradise. Which I'm embarrassed to say I haven't seen. Ah. I haven't seen I, it I know, for a actually, long time. I'm not going to spoil anything about Phantom of the Paradise, but the reason that I say that is because it has this main character that kind of runs through the whole theater during a show, and uh, most of the people that are in the show are not really aware that he's there. And, okay. and, he's, pulling, and he's pulling strings in certain ways and people suddenly become aware that he's no they they become aware that things have happened but they're not aware that he's doing it so i mean you know that kind of thing that yeah, you know that's, that's yeah a comparison there definitely so so sticky what were your initial thoughts about the film had you seen this before we i, uh, I hadn't talk seen it um I, I was aware of garrison keller um and sort of tangentially aware of the fact that he did uh, this this show but um i think i was mainly aware of him because he, he's written a few novels i believe is that right yeah i think he has which i i, I would assume are going to be along similar lines to um what the uh, the radio show was about but um, right. i wasn't really aware that it was such a huge sort of institution in the states oh yeah something and never I mean, really had over here so it's, um, it's I, almost... I kind of went in sorry tim go on it's almost like, like I say, like um, you can jump in the uninitiated with with Harry uh, Harry Pro. Uh, never mind, uh, Prairie Home Companion. I've been into my cups. Uh, yeah, Prairie Home Companion. Prone Companion. Yeah, Harry Prone Companion. <laughs> that, that's cruising. That, that, yeah, there you go. <laughs> yeah, oh, there we no. go. There right. we go. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Pacino, the hairy prone companion. Yeah. So, uh, anyways, uh, no, I mean, you can, you can, the uninitiated can jump into the radio show, but those that had followed it, you know, since the seventies, I mean, they know all the characters, they know the procedure, they know the lingo, they know sure. yeah. the, yeah. the ins and outs of it all. So, yeah, it's, you know, it, it's one of those kind of, you know, it, organic, entities that you know like i said you can either become you know uh, you can jump in as the uninitiated or you know you'd follow it along from start to finish right i guess in, in a weird way it's you could kind of make a comparison to a soap opera kind of thing couldn't you mm -hmm. you've got mm -hmm. the same characters with their little stories and right yeah yeah i mean people mm -hmm. spend you know a good chunk of their lives watching or listening to things like that so it's right they're you know they're almost your friends and family aren't they you know? so right well that's that's the whole thing about also too without getting too far ahead is 
what I was talking about with the meta thing was that, you know, there there's the audience watching what's occurring on the stage and then there's what's going on backstage. Yeah. Yeah. And, and then and then, you know, and then even backstage, you know, with for example, Lindsay Lohan, she doesn't know the full story of what's what's about going on even with her own life. You know, and her father and everything, and then Keeler is letting her in on you know the things. So there's you know it's it's an onion with so many layers to it that that gets unpeeled, and you you see all. Um, it, it was really interesting that Keller should write it that way, because right? He could have quite easily just written a movie version of an episode, and right. you know would have just seen essentially the stage play. The fact that. It does turn it into that sort of multi-layered thing, uh, right. different layers to peel away. It, it's a really interesting approach, and not one I guess you would necessarily expect from him. So I think that no, made it really. Itch. Yeah, and it is because I mean, actually, like you know, not to go off on a little tangent here, but like there's a there's a sociological theory called dramaturgy. This guy Irving Goffman created where he he developed. He said that you know like. Life is, has a front stage and a backstage, and there's a social self, and then there's the private self. And the social self is who you are within society, where you'll laugh at jokes. And then the private self is when you go home and say, you know, that wasn't funny at all. You know, and the and the private self is who you really authentically are, whereas the social self is who you are as dictated by Everybody you know, the rules of yeah the rules of society, yeah. right? So, I mean, you can see all of this in this film. I really think you can. You know, it, yeah. it's a perfect example of dramaturgy where, you know, there's those that are, there's no uh, separation for some where they are the same as they backstage as they are in front of the stage. But for others, it's completely different. I'm wondering if this relates to that. I think sort of in a way it does. But um, this is not really too much of a spoiler. It's a fairly minor character that uh, dies oh, know, my favorite. Uh, about a third or, or, or yeah. more into the film. And Lindsay Lohan, uh, you know, every, everyone's very upset. And Lindsay, oh, they're saying to Garrison Keillor, uh, well, you've got to make some sort of announcement to say that we're upset. And he said, no, I'm not going to do that. And she says, why on earth would you not do that? And he says, because I don't want to tell people how to feel. So his public self is, you know, business as usual, but he says, well, you know, we, we can privately mourn, privately have our feelings about this guy who was associated with the show for so long, but I'm not going to tell people out there how, how they should be feel. That's a, that's a personal thing that doesn't go, and that doesn't go with right. our public persona. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, yeah, for sure. And you know, that's not to get too far ahead, but that's one of the moments that really made me almost, you know, pull a loaf. <laughs> is uh, is uh, when I uh, when LQ Jones and I don't know if you guys are are familiar with LQ Jones. That, 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 was, that, was, that was the guy, wasn't he? Yeah, well, he was in the Wild Bunch. Him and Struther Martin were the two gay assassins. You know, the 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 scavengers. You know, then they would go and pick off all the dead guys. And um, LQ Jones actually directed The Boy and His Dog, the cult film with Don Johnson. But, yeah, uh, yeah. No, but that's, oh, that's the story, isn't it? Yeah. Right, that's right. But he, but the the one part that really almost made me, like I said, pull a loaf is when he comes out to sing his song, and he's singing, you know, "You were a friend to me," and at the very end, when he's singing the last line part of the song, 
he's almost breaking down. Yeah, yeah, his voice like really cr- cracks, doesn't he? Yeah, right. Yeah. His, his voice cracks because he knows, he knows, like he's he's done, like he knows that's it for him. And I mean, and and the thing is, for it's almost like you know because he knows it's the last show, he knows it's the you know that's his last kick of the can, his last at bat, he's done. And it, he cracks, his voice cracks. And man, I tell you, I, I, I was really like, oh man, like shit, you know, I'm going to pull a loaf, you know? <laughs> yeah. But it was, it was amazing though. Like, no. And I mean, like that was, that was to me, one of the key elements of this film that really kind of pulled me into it was him, you know, right. it's like, and yeah. it was so simple because, and you know, the funny thing is, uh, you know, he's trying, he's trying to catch a little, you know, he's trying to catch a little slice with the lady, with the sandwich lady. Right. That's right. You know, and, and he's always, he's always, come here, come here, come here, come here. Oh, you know, give me a little, come on, you know. And he's just there, and he's like right in front of, uh, oh, shit. I forget who it was. That that they're, they're there on the side, and then there's somebody there, and he doesn't even care. He's just like, both of them are just, you know, they're like teenagers, you know. Yes, yes. And that's what's awesome about it. Is that you know they're at the end of their lives, but they're still like looking at each other like so just in love, yeah. you know. And then there's the bit where, and it really makes me me sad. And again, the the double loaf was uh, when I walked when she walks in and she's like, you know, where are you, you old rascal? You know, I got a bun for your hot dog. Come here, uh, you know. And then she goes in and he's gone. Yeah. And it's just like, oh shit. Well, yeah, you feel with that. See, the way how I see this film is everything has a, uh, a literal and then the, the much bigger picture to do with, with death. And so, like that, uh, we, okay, so we, we have LQ Jones' character's death, and then we, but we're also sort of looking at the bigger picture of the death of the show, or if you want, right. uh, the death of that old fashioned form of entertainment. And just as uh, that, uh, the sandwich lady, is mourning the death of someone who she loved. We wonder whether, you know, will there be people out there mourning the death of this very old-fashioned sort of entertainment? You know, I mean, they announced at the yeah. beginning of the film this is something that's long past its uh, use-by date, and and uh, you know, all in the name of so-called progress, it was going to be the theater was going to be raised to build a car park. So, mm-hmm. no, go on. I think uh, as well the. Um... The, the fact that uh, a big part of uh, Keller's kind of shtick is, you know, it's all about stories and it's all about these stories from people who aren't around any longer and families that, you know, things, you know, stories passed down through the years. Mm-hmm. Um, right. And again, you know, you don't have, you know, the death is intertwined with all that because, you know, right. people aren't here well, anymore and yet you're still talking about them and telling their stories as right. in and- death or whoever, you know, and it's, yeah, it just absolutely. No, I was gonna say that this might sound funny, but it's like, you know, if you think about like the old Punch and Judy show, like the puppet shows, you know, the old school puppet shows where you know one person would die, there was Mister Death, you know, in the puppet show, and and even like you know like through various cultures, like Indonesia, they've got the shadow puppets, and like there's so many different uh, where they would tell stories of the past. With puppets, you know, with these kind of caricatures, you know, and some of them yeah. were a little risque, and some of them were a little violent, and some of them were a little funny, but they would share 
these stories of the past through through these characters, puppets on a stage, you know, and, and there was always that element of death in, in different ways. And I yeah. think that, you know, this, you know, I don't, I, I don't hope I'm not making too much of a stretch, but this is the way I see it is that Keeler and, and, you know, the Prairie Home Companion, it's almost like uh, an extension of, of puppet shows where where it's it's a story you know it's the tale yeah no I, I can totally see that yeah it's a tale that is alive it's a tale that is organic it's the tale that is you know kind of you know stretched and carried on and modified because yeah. even even when even when um even when lily tomlin and uh, meryl streep are talking about their father when he dies when their sister gets nailed for for stealing a donut when she walks out and there is yeah. like well wait a minute no it was like this no it was like that oh it was like this and everybody has their take on it and and it's like you know and everybody you know and, and then eventually they get the story down and both of them agree on the story but it's but it's that it's that story like you're saying bernie about people that aren't even there anymore as long as stories are what we leave behind aren't they you know right absolutely and as long as they're still i mean i mean it's kind of like you know back in canada i've got some native friends and you know they've always said and what i've always believed is that they say that you know even if people pass as long as you say their name as long as you remember them as long as you can recollect stories of their life and you can share them they're still alive I, i would think like every culture believes that to some extent you know i the, for a lot of people the whole prairie home companion thing was like you know this is going to sound really silly but for a lot of people it was kind of like a warm sweater knitted by your grandmother yeah yeah no, i or, can totally see that yeah yeah or or, yeah, I mean, or does it you know, right. like someone was uh i kind of went in feeling slightly cynical but I, I was totally won over by the end, and it just felt like someone had been pouring warm maple syrup over me or something. All right, but, so, you know, so but, in a really nice way. But here's here's the thing: it's a film about death that never gets morbid, but it never gets completely saccharine either. And I remember yeah. like, while I was after I'd watched the film, I saw you know went and looked up a couple of articles, and I read one one blogger who'd come over really very cynical about the whole film and was rallying against it for a reason that just didn't. Res- didn't resound with me. He'd gone and said that at least he'd also gone and made the comparison between this and all that jazz. But he said at least Bob Fosse had the balls to keep things down and dirty. And he said that uh, Robert Altman had been notorious apparently as a bit of a grump and a bit of a an old stick in the mud. And here he was going and putting out this film that was, you know, as you would say, Bernie, a little bit of the old maple syrup that made you feel like you know you were wearing grandmother's knitted jumper etc and he said it was too it was false but i don't identify with that he's telling a story ostensibly it doesn't matter what the fuck he was like in his personal life he he's a a storyteller and he's gone and built this fantasy world i mean the fantasy world is the theater the theater by rights you know as they say shouldn't exist in this real world but in this theater you have this fantasy and you can go there every week as the people in uh, were prone to do and are in real life still doing and they're they're feeling good and and it's it's okay that's not dishonest it's just he's telling a story fantasy.
Keeler. This is this is Keeler's creation. It's not it's not Altman's creation.、Uh-huh. And I mean Altman, you know, in all his other films like you know Nashville and、uh, Shortcuts and all of those things, there wasn't anybody that was really behind it except Altman. You know, I mean, like yeah, there was writers, but I mean, but I mean with with this film, this is something that was Keeler's creation, and I, and I really felt with this film that. This was one where Altman kind of stepped back, where it it, it kind of it feels like Altman, but it's not Altman. Right. Whereas yeah, I, I would his、totally、yeah. his other films are really just full on Altman, and、wow. even even Popeye. I mean, this is kind of like Popeye, where you know everybody said, "Well, Altman does Popeye. What the hell, right?" But he actually stepped back on Popeye too. I think he let the story play it out, play it out. You know, like he played, he let the story speak for itself. He he never really injected as much of himself into it as as he could have. You know. So are you going to say something, Bernie? No, what, what I was going to say is that、um, you mentioned that guy who'd、uh, written on that blog about how、uh, you know he refused to get down and dirty. Yes. With this, but、uh, you know, it, it's. Every film is is not every film, but it, it seems that the prevailing trend is that everything has to be down and dirty or dandy or have that kind of grim realism in it. And you know, there's,、right. there's actually nothing wrong with just having something nice and comfortable and familiar and、uh, reassuring. You know, I, I think as a society we、uh, we kind of frown on that a little bit these days. Yes.、Um, but,、uh, particularly because it, it's seen as mawkish and maybe somehow less valid if you go that route. But、right. in, in a film that's as beautifully done as this, and in something like,、uh, you know, what Keller's created, the whole Prairie Home Companion thing, it's, you know,、uh, I'm, I'm not loath to say it, but it's it's a beautiful thing. And the fact that people gain some kind of、uh, reassurance and comfort in that, I mean, who would begrudge that? You know what I mean? It's well, it's it's just I like just, I don't understand that criticism. Well, it, it, no, no, I, I completely didn't get that, and I thought maybe this, maybe this blogger had a bit of a, a hard heart. But、um, yeah, what, what I was going to say, he had a bit of an axe to grind. <laughs> maybe he did. The, I guess, the film reflects in that way Garrison Keillor's own words that I mentioned earlier, where he said, "I don't want to tell people what to think," and Robert Altman is saying, "I'm going to let this story speak for itself. I'm not going to let it be overly mawkish." Yeah, sure. I mean, there, there could have been far more. Hugs and far more tears and oh we're going down and and it wasn't it's a celebration it's it's completely、yeah. a celebration it's just absolutely、uh, yeah it, it not, really is、um, a beautiful comfortable film but not it, but not, not a, as it's not as emotionally manipulative it's not anywhere near as emotionally、no. manipulative as it could have been and no, it's all, all better for that I think one thing I saw、um, on the、um, uh, one thing I was going to say I, I saw in my research I don't know if you guys realise this but、um, because Robert Altman was so ill during the making of this film. They had, I thought, a rather interesting choice of director waiting on the sidelines to take over should Altman not be able to finish it. And it was Paul Thomas Anderson, and I think he would—he、ah. was definitely a good choice because, like Altman, you know, films like Magnolia and Boogie Nights are ensemble pieces, and I imagine he worshipped at the Temple of Altman.、Right. Yeah, you can see that definitely. Yeah. Oh, yeah. for sure, for sure. Yeah. You know, I have a question though too. Mm-hmm. I I want I want to know the you know how much it costs to get the hundred grams of of crack cocaine to get that stellar performance out of Lindsay Lohan. <laughs> <laughs>
Is that the way this song goes? Uh, sort of. I mean, holy shit, man! Like uh, I was, I was blown away. I'll she, she's she's amazing in that. I've I've only ever I've never watched a Lindsay Lohan film till this film, and you know I've just been aware of her as like a walking headline. And I'm watching this and thinking, holy cow, is she like this in all her other films? You know what? You know, yeah. giving her undue credit. Gee, she was fantastic. She really, really was. And almost, I, I think, self-mocking, you know, earlier on in the film where where um, uh, Woody, Woody Harrelson... And, and, sorry, what was that? The mopey teenager stick with the... Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. About suicide and so on. She, yeah, yeah. It almost looks like she's taken the piss out of herself. It's, uh, it, you know, where they're saying, oh, you want to do a song with your, with your mom? She's real proud of you. Um, I don't yeah, do yeah. that. So I'm, I'm writing my own stuff. Oh, that's okay. It's about suicide, actually. <laughs> she really looks like, you know, she's having a having a good time and having a little bit of a dig at herself. It's, right. Uh, I love that bit when... She, uh, sorry, go ahead, Bernie. It's, it's sad because, you know, she obviously was a talented actress. She had a lot of potential. Hmm. Uh, and, right. yeah, to see kind of where she is now, it's um, kind of sad, really, isn't it? Yeah. Now that we've gone and brought Lindsay Lohan up, let's actually talk about some of the actors because we've already gone and said it's this big ensemble film. Let's talk about some of the characters and, and the actors who played them in the film. So as as a duo, we get uh, John C. Riley and Woody Harrelson, and they're doing uh, they're they're playing as uh, these, these old they're, they're these uh, old cow well not old but they're these cow fans who you know they they get up and do you know they, this one's on bad cowboys. jokes. Yeah. The blind man seeing eye dog pissed on the blind man's shoe. Oh, the blind man said, "Here, Rover, here's a piece of beef for you." His wife said, "Don't reward him." Hey, what are you doing back there? Can't just let that pass. The blind man said, "I gotta find his mouth so I can kick him in the ass." Oh, great. Now what's the difference? Piss ass. Chosen the way out anyway. Damn. Bad jokes for me. You got one, Dusty? I got one, Lefty. Let's hear it. When God created woman, he gave her not two breasts but three. When the middle one got in the way, God performed surgery. Woman stood before God with the middle breast in hand. Said, what do we do with the useless boob and God created man? Yeah, liquor, liquor in the front, poker in the rear. <laughs> and, that scene yeah. where they do yeah, the bad joke song, that is just fantastic. That's one of the best things. Yeah, I lost my job at the store. I lost my job at the store when she came in. Liquor, she said, and liquor I did. <laughs> Yeah, that's great. I'm trying to find where the dog's mouth is so I can kick its ass. Right. You know what's funny is actually I think that uh, have you guys ever seen Riders in the Sky? No, I know the song. Oh, no, there there was a there was a group. There was three guys singing cowboys. Actually, uh, Riders in the Sky from America. They were they and they were almost like uh, they weren't a parody. They they were actually like uh, in the 80s and 90s. They actually did. Uh, they were a group. Like they did cowboy songs, right. but they actually came out and they they played them almost like uh, Tex Ritter or Tom Mix or yeah. like you know like Gene Autry, like the old school style. 
Yep. So I th so I think that what uh, Garrison Keillor was doing was kind of you know riffing on Riders in the Sky, where you know Dusty and Lefty were kind of like you know almost like step and fetch it or like the old uh, the old school like Abbott and Costello kind of like yeah, or cowboys yeah. you know it's, like it's, they were it's that great vaudeville sort of feel about it i mean real the, oh, these, two, these two these two guys could have done those same set of jokes in a vegas lounge and you wouldn't be feeling all maple syrup in your grand no. yeah, jump exactly. over that yeah. you, you'd hate it but there's just no. something about that environment and, and the way they do it. I love that guy who's standing backstage saying, oh shit, they're going to do that routine. And then the guy's behind him and he's like, <laughs> <That's right. laughs> Your sound effects guy, he was he was classic. And also, he, well, let, uh, we might as well divert for a second. There was a, um, there was a routine about duct tape. This portion of our show is brought to you by Powder Milk Biscuits and also brought to you by duct tape. Duct tape, yes, duct tape. Duct tape. Useful thing around the household. Almost anything that comes up around the household. Sometimes we need to make repairs, doors come loose, and windows, all sorts of things can happen. Sometimes you just forget something that you're looking for, and duct tape can come in handy. You can wrap it around your finger like a string or something. You just tape it up, whatever. Things do tend to fall apart, you know, confusion reigns endemic in our world today. Just things tend to drift, and especially as you get to be older. Duct tape is the most useful thing you'll find. All repairs are short-term, we know that. Oh, that was amazing as well. We're, we're, we're um, Garrison Keeler is, is waiting to get handed a piece of paper to do his real uh, ad um, from, uh, is it Maya Rudolph, who's like the stage assistant, she can't find her paper, so he's carrying on about talking about all the wonderful things about duct tape. Yes, 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 duct tape. You can, you can, it's, it's well, like, I, I can't yeah. think, why doesn't he talk about um, uh, guinea pigs exploding? But, no, that's, no, we, we, we won't go down there. Uh, but all, no, the amazing, so all the amazing cool. uses, uses for duct tape, duct tape. And the uh, sound effects man is um, carrying on with all these, with all these things as uh, uh, Meryl Streep and Lily Tomlin. Turns right. into a real shaggy dog story, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, Everyone yeah. joins in oh, and starts adding to it. And the uh, the sound man's having to keep up with all the uh, you know, the breaking glass and the, the you know, the flying helicopters and all this and, kind of stuff. And he's he's the real guy, isn't he, Tim? He's the real guy who, who does all the sound effects on Prairie Yeah, yeah, yeah. And what's amazing about this too is that, you know, I mean, um, not to go off on a tangent, but it's like my my grandmother and my grandfather now they're they're long past, but they had a guy that lived next door to them, a neighbor, this guy named Roy. And Roy, he used to collect all these old cassettes. He used to have reel-to-reel -reel tapes of, like, Dragnet and Inner Sanctum and, uh, you know, Lights right. Out and all these old radio dramas from the 40s and 50s, right? And I, I used to get cassettes, like, 120-minute cassettes and 90-minute cassettes off of Roy. And I'd beg him, please, man, like, can you, can you tape me? You know, like, he... he set up his reel-to-reel, uh, -reel, and then he taped it. Mm. And the funny thing is, when you're listening to, you know, live audio presentations, then, you know, it's funny on one level because, you know, you hear the sound effects and you hear all that. But then with the audience, there's the other level where they're watching the guy do all this stuff, and it's funnier <laughs> for a completely yeah. different yeah. reason because they see it, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, yeah, it's amazing because it's like, you know, 
And I, I think there used to be, you know, Garrison Keillor isn't the first person to do live radio at the theater. I mean, Jack Benny did it. Everybody did it, you know. Oh, well, there was a whole huge tradition of that in the States and uh, certainly Absolutely. here in the UK. And, and I'm I mean, sure in Australia the they did it as sure. well. They, look, you know, I remember... Oh, I think the first time I went to Sydney, which was, I don't know, 25 years ago or something like that, uh, I met up with a friend who took me to the ABC Radio Studios in Sydney where they'd been running for like 30, 40 years uh, a live radio entertainment show. And yeah, we got to see it being performed on a Saturday night as it, was, right. as it was going out. I have no idea whether it's still going, but I'm thrilled to say I've had the pleasure of being able to see something like that. But Bernie, I was sort of going to make, the point too, I guess you know the the grand British tradition of music hall. I mean, how does that yeah, how does absolutely. how does that compare how does that compare to uh, vaudeville? Was uh, music hall just about the songs, or was it about comedy routines as well? No, it was it was essentially pretty much the same thing. I think music hall predated vaudeville, uh, right? But yeah, essentially it was yeah it was you'd have uh, you know really lame comedians in between sort of uh, sing along numbers, and you'd have dancers and. Yeah, it's essentially it's just vaudeville. Well, so right. uh, yeah, yeah, it's been a you know tradition of that over here as well. In Canada, we had we had our own with the Canadian Broadcasting Corporation, the CBC, and like you talked about earlier, Morris Wayne and Schuster. Yes, you know we, we had that too. So I mean, we had our own radio that was recorded live before an audience. You know, and there like I mean. It's, you know, th this is a thing that I, I think that is really beautiful about this film is that it's a bridge for, for a generation that wouldn't understand that, you know, there was a time when, when all people had to rely on was, you know, a transistor radio. Yes. Yeah. Sure. And I mean, you know, and, and I mean, I remember this is the one thing that I always thought was cool in Canada, too in the 80s is that we would have live radio dramas and, and, and some of the uh, stations in Toronto, Chum FM and CFNY would, uh, Sunday nights at 11 o'clock, would broadcast the old radio dramas. So I'd lay in bed, you know, well, you know, and I'd have to get up, wake up early to go to school the next day and I'd, you know, have my radio on and plug my headphones on and sit there and listen to like, you know, Boston Blackie or like these old crime dramas or whatever like and it was only like about half an hour mm. but it was they were fantastic i mean you know and it really it really made you feel on a completely entirely different level you know that you're more engaged because it's you know you're, you're having to use your imagination more aren't you you're, you're right you're it sure, in your sure. head you're not just sure I'm, it I'm, into your eyes you know i'm actually right, right. i'm actually wondering just coming back because you mentioned Wayne and Shoes. I mean, did they actually ever do sort of like radio stuff? Because I've got this, before they did the TV, I've got this CD called Rinse the Blood Off My Toga. Uh, and they had, you know, four really great routines, which I think they might have even filmed for the TV show a lot later on. But there's all those sound effects and stuff. And I'm just wondering whether that was taken off a, a radio serial that they might have done. So for sure, they would have been part of like some sort of, you know, Canadian uh, radio oh, yeah. broadcast tradition. Yeah, I know they, they, did def they definitely did radio. That's how they started. They actually like they branched out from radio. I, I was going to say, do you still actually have? Because uh, here in the UK, we still get a lot of radio drama and and comedy and so on. Does that still even happen in in the states or in Australia? It's not live. Oh, um, I, I have no idea. I'd be. I know that one of our um, community stations 
did an experiment maybe about 10, 15 years ago uh, that they tried to emulate. They, they weren't doing it live, but they were, I think once a week for, oh, I don't know, maybe six months or so, uh, they were trying to do a radio drama just to sort of create the feel. They weren't doing it in front of an audience, but you know, someone yeah. had fallen in love with the idea of doing something like that, and it seemed like a great idea. I really don't know how long it lasted, but there have been okay. experiments. But just like on a long-term basis, I have no idea. I expect that maybe the ABC does something on local radio somewhere, but yeah. I don't think it's nationally broadcast. But okay. I, I really couldn't say otherwise. Tim, do you know if something's well, still in Canada or in the States? Well, CBC, we used to have a, a comedy troupe called the Frannics. Oh, you, the Fran put, you put me onto them. They were magnificent. Yeah, yeah the Frannics did really uh, fun stuff for a long time. But I don't. I'm not sure anymore about um, live uh, dramas. Or I think now with you know with satellite radio, I think there are a lot of channels that do do this kind of thing. And actually, I think there is satellite radio now that just is strictly Prairie Home Companion, like the archives. Oh right, yeah. Because because it it goes back like I'm not kidding you, man. Over 25 years, like it's it's yeah, it's yeah. amazing, you know. And and it, you know and it's funny because it's like you know when it's amazing how through art you can feel like someone is a part of your family. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. You know? yeah. yeah. I mean, like for example, Charles Schultz and Peanuts. You know, every Sunday you'd get the Peanuts strip, and or Saturday Saturday evening with the newspaper you'd get the Peanuts strip, and mm. you know. But it, that's the thing. I mean, I watched this film coming in cold, knowing nothing about the real Prairie Home Companion's history, and I felt like I was part of a family. I, I got it. I understood it, right. which is why I resented yeah. that horrible blog assessment of the film a right. more. Because I thought, well, hang on, you're kicking my family in the ass. Don't you dare do that. I, right. I really felt like you know, I, w I was in there without being intrusive. It was like, yeah, yeah, come well, that's, in, welcome in. That's kind of what I was saying earlier about you can go in as an uninitiated, you know, and you can just basically jump right into it and, and, and you can feel that and it's like and it doesn't matter whether you've been following it for 10 years or it's the first time you've heard it it's just you know that's that's what it is you know there's a feeling i got from this film and you know i, w I wanted to bounce this off of you guys to see if you know what you thought about it but i felt this film in a way too was kind of like almost like they were all in purgatory yeah, I, I'd, I'd say that's a good analogy. Yeah, definitely. Well, no, not I think definitely, you read it that way, yeah. And they were all in purgatory, but they all didn't really realize it. Yeah. Or some of them did, but they didn't know where they were going to go, and they didn't know how it was going to play out, well, you that, know? Well, I, I think that's, um, yeah, you, you could definitely read that into the, the final scene. Oh, yeah, well, right. without, without, without giving anything, anything away. away. <laughs> yeah, but, but how that ended, it's a slightly ambiguous ending, isn't it? You're not is, quite sure what is, is being implied. Which is okay. That's right. probably that's probably Altman's own rumination there, saying, "Well, none of us really know." But you know, the whole thing right. about purgatory would make sense because you know, if this theatre is encapsulated uh, in a time that it knows, and it do, it's it's you know, as they say earlier on in the film, it's dead. The show is dead, and it doesn't even know it. And yeah. The uh, the theatre, it's like all the people there, they're pursuing this very old-fashioned entertainment. They don't know about whatever else is going on in the great big bad world. I mean, this is filmed in 2006, so, you know, they have no idea, uh, the characters. For, for all, all of that, they might 
have no idea that the that you know the internet is out there and that multiplex cinemas and and iPods and whatever other forms of mass entertainment or video games right. they've got this very old-fashioned radio show and it's just continued in this bubble and that bubble might as you say might be purgatory and they're just sort of waiting right. well what's what's our fate now I don't know how how like the way I see it in my opinion is uh, Tommy Lee Jones shows up. And he is basically, you know, the person who's bought, his company has bought the theater and they're going to, you know, it's basically condemned for demolition. They're just going to, like you said, throw up, you know, pay paradise and throw up a parking lot, you know. <laughs> yeah. And, and yeah. Uh, I see him as kind of like the devil. And I kind of see where he, he's coming in. He's like, well, are you done yet? You know, how, how long you got to go? Like, come on, you know. <laughs> And and he, he's he's sitting up there in the wings, whereas you know Virginia Madsen, she's like kind of like you know, and when we say angel of death, you know you 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 kind of imagine kind of a somber or a, an evil type of thing, but it, she's not no. at all. And, and you know it's it's like when you know when L. Q. Jones passes. And and his lover, Samuel's lady, when she's crying, and she and then and then. You know, Virginia Madsen saying, it's okay, you got to let him go. Like, he tried, he tried. Like, it's okay, it's okay, you know. And like, and she's there to kind of comfort them, you know. And she's there she, She's there as that kind of, you know, it's okay to let go. It's okay. Yeah. You know, that's where, where, easier to right, right. Whereas, yeah. whereas Tommy Lee Jones is kind of that cold and clinical, like, yeah, 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 all right, all right. You know, let's go, let's go, let's go, you know. It's a it's an archetypal Tommy Lee Jones performance as well, isn't it? Right. He, uh, he kind of phoned that one in in a way. I right. Think. But what do you guys think about that? Am I am I off or no? No, not at all. I I hadn't admittedly thought of it in that regard, but now that you're saying it, it makes makes a uh, very good sense to me. Yeah, I agree, yeah. Morris. I, I think you could definitely read it that way. Certainly, there are several things. Now you mentioned that. I just want to take away um, from that discussion just for a couple more minutes. I, I don't know how much more time we have left. But um, I, I mentioned I wanted to talk a little bit about the characters, and I think one character who I really, really like, and you could argue that maybe he's a little bit out of place, but I, I think he just really adds something to the film, and that's Kevin Klein's character, Guy Noir. Now, as I understand it, Guy Noir is part of, like in the real Prairie Home Companion, part of a, an ongoing radio play that they do within the show. But for this, right. they, they made him into okay. a, real, yeah. a real character. Right. Story. And, that's... And, and as we're seeing at the beginning of the film, he comes in, we hear that sort of, that noir-ish, you know, uh, jazzy music as he sort of comes out of the right. uh, diner and says, you know, Hi, I'm Guy Noir and I do security for the Prairie Home Companion. It was an old show. Right. And, um, and his his character, he's you know, a little bit slapsticky, and yet he comes up with some incredible lines. I, I, one sort of thing that was confusing, just digressing for a second, I didn't quite get why some people could see Virginia Madsen's Angel of Death and why others couldn't. And you would sort of imagine it would just be whoever she'd come for, but it seemed to be fairly random. But Kevin Klein's Guy Noir character is the first one who sees her, and he comes up with these really poetic lines, which sound like they've been <laughs> pulled right out of a cheap pulp detective novel. Right. Um, yeah. 
what what does he say? Her skirt was so tight you could sit you yeah. could read the embroidery on her underwear. She <laughs> gave me a smile so sweet you could have poured it on your pancakes. Um, right, throw her up in the air and you can make sunshine. Yeah, yeah. yeah. She wore a trench coat so white, rain would be embarrassed to fall on it. I yeah. I love those lines. And, and he says well, he, he keeps falling on his ass when he's when he's um where he's following her around, he falls off the desk. Right. He he goes into the bar to pour a scotch, and he just falls on his right. ass. And he, he's very slapstick. And you could argue in a way, well, maybe that's a little out of touch with you know the the theme of the rest of the film. But I also well, tend to think that if they if the audience in the theater are watching vaudeville, we the audience in the cinema watching the movie, this is our vaudeville. You know, it's, right. it's, so in that regard, right. I sort of see it's. It's keeping in alignment with the theme of the rest. And this of the is film. this is kind of what I was saying about the whole meta thing, yeah. Where yeah. it's it's totally meta. Like, and, and here's the thing to consider. Maybe I'm reading too much into this, but okay. Guy Noir was a definitive part of the whole Prairie Home Companion, you know, uh, mythos. But here's the thing. Because it's the last show, his character is eliminated. And because his character is eliminated, he's the first one to see her. I can buy into that. Yeah. <laughs> so it just that, that yeah. that's that's when I saw it, I was like, okay, yeah, I get this, yeah. And that's the thing, and it, it's it's kind of like the the fait complete, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like it, it's just it's just that full circle. I mean, it comes around, and you know, and that's it. And you even notice at the end when you know they're all there in the diner except who, Guy Noir. Oh, was he? Oh, you're right too. You're right too. Yeah. Oh, oh, was he? Wasn't he sitting at the? No, he wasn't sitting about that. Was guy and le- uh, that was uh, Lefty and um. Yeah, yeah. Dusty. Yeah, Lefty. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah, Dusty, yeah, yeah. You're yeah. right. But he's not. He's not there at the end. And that. That's, so I that's th- supposed to be his hangout. Right. So I think it's yeah, another. Yeah. It's another oh, level. Yeah. It's another level to what they're doing. Right. Um. Probably the final thing that we should discuss. I mean, we are a movie cinema. Podcast, and we haven't actually discussed movie, so music, music, music movie podcast. Um, we haven't actually discussed any of uh, any of the great music, and they, they had absolutely crack band on on stage and some wonderful they were amazing. And, and, oh yeah, and I, I knew of, but ha- hadn't actually heard Robin and Linda Williams. Well, Charlie, you're a good old boy. Charlie, you're all right. Charlie, open up the store. We're coming down tonight. Out where you can see the stars and the living slow. We'll eat potluck and pull guitars down on Old Blank Road. Oh, down on Old Blank Road. We'll eat potluck and pull guitars down on Old Blank Road. I'm sure that you were aware of their music before. I'd heard a bit of them, and you know the funny thing was, like, actually, I I thought they had played with Ricky Skaggs before. Mm-hmm. And uh, the thing that's interesting is, like, when I first I was expecting to see Ricky Skaggs there, <laughs> I was like, man, this bluegrass is holy shit, you know, or Del McCory, like, 
you right. know, this is really they were they were crackerjacked, you know. And the and, and the, the 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 first time I'd heard them actually was that years and years ago, my dad, when he'd take us for picnics on Sunday afternoon, um, we'd go up around Niagara Falls area, and my dad had this AMFM radio he'd tune in. And he could pick up PBS on Sunday afternoons, and they would have like this old bluegrass gospel revival stuff, uh, three-hour show, and and they'd play on that with Ricky Skaggs and Del McCory and other people, and that was the first time I had heard them. But that was like when I was younger. Yep. Nice. Oh, we, we're getting all teary-eyed here, I think. <laughs> uh, so yeah, uh, any any final thoughts? The film, the music, gents. Yeah. With the with the music too, I wanted to say that you know this film is an accomplishment because not only are the actors acting they're actually getting them to sing decently right right yeah and and, yeah. and there's something to be said in that i mean you know whereas i know meryl streep she she sang before i know she sang in film well john c Ry- the, john c Riley could almost right be a, walked a, yeah walked all the dewey and, cox and, story. And, chi- and chicago right absolutely but I mean, Woody Harrelson, him even pulling it off, you know, like that was, yeah, you know, Harry and, Ching, so, right? And Lily Tomlin, yeah, Lindsay Lohan and Lily Tomlin, like you know, I mean, you know, that's the thing is like with this film, it's kind of two tiered, where it's like not only do you have to act, like I said, you know, it's like you know, if you can't carry a note in the bucket, forget about it, you know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And who who was um who who was that singer who uh, did the ad for coffee? Coffee, yes, Geraldine. Nothing stimulates a person that keeps you focused quite like good old caffeine. Black coffee. Mmm, so good. I'm glad you like it too. Smells so lovely when you pour it. You will want to drink a quart of coffee. It's delicious all alone. It's also good with donuts. Black coffee. Stimulates your urges. It's served in Lutheran churches. Keeps the sweets and the German awake through the sermon. Have a pot of it today. I'm sure you'll say it's awfully good coffee. Oh yeah, oh, she was she amazing. Was amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Great singer. Great. Right. I, I suspect she was a real singer, not a not an actor. I think. I, I think, think she's a member what? of the actual cast, isn't she? Right. Of, I think so. Uh, Prairie Home Companion. Yeah, right. I think so. And I think I think what. I'm not exactly sure, like I said, you know, I'm no aficionado, but I think that when they did their their city by city tour with Prairie Home Companion, the Keeler actually had guests come on the show to sing bits, and they they incorporated people yep. into uh, into the shows, you know. So they actually had some ringers come in, but I but I thought this was you know this was amazing. I mean, you know, it's it's kind of poetic too and, and it's a great bookend for Robert Altman because I think you know like you know there's no way that Altman said well I'm old and the film's about death so I guess this is as good time to die as any you know <laughs> like I mean like you know it didn't work like that but I think it's a great it's a great nod to the man and uh, it's a great bookend for Altman I really think it is because you know it's a fantastic ensemble it's a it, it it's a story about serious things but at the same time, it's done with compassion and it's done with humor. It's done with warmth. And, um, you know, when I when you first actually, truth be told, Morris, no bullshit. When, you know, 
like I bullshit before, but uh, no. Uh, no, but I mean, when you first picked this, I thought, oh, man, I'm going to sit down. This is going to put me to bed. You know, I'm, I, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to nod off on this, you know. And afterwards, I actually sat down and thought, man, I want to download some Prairie Home Companion. Nice. I want to see if I, I see if I can find the radio recordings now and, and, and just listen again because, you know, it really took me back to a time when, you know, and I mean, you know, I'm not that old and we, none of us are, but it really took me back to a time where I recognize what my my grandparents got out of this and what my parents got out of the radio format and um and not i'm not talking about music at all i'm well there was yeah yeah the music aspect as well but just the whole uh people you know gather around a, a radio on a sun a saturday night or a sunday night for your program and meanwhile you know we, we're all basically you know sitting around you know staring at a screen whether yeah, it be yeah. Facebook, whether it be YouTube, or whatever, it's just a different kind of radio. Yeah. Right? I totally agree Clint with you, Tim. I'm, uh, I, I got to admit, I was a little cynical going in, but uh, I thoroughly enjoyed it. I think it's fantastic. And, and again, I'm, I'm definitely going to do a bit of research and uh, download some uh, Prairie Home Companion. I'm, uh, I'm kind of a sucker for americana anyway i've always been yes. fascinated by america and american culture and yeah this is actually right up my alley i absolutely loved it and uh, i will do more research nice I'm, I'm glad i picked this one because i mean when i watched the film through i thought oh i mean it's got music in it but it's not really about that but in the end you know we mentioned a little bit of the music and, and it still gave us plenty of food for thought and you know i guess you know, it is, you it know is it's, it's a big part of the film isn't it there's yeah. It's just as much, um, you know, musical or uh, musical numbers or music on the screen. Uh, sorry, let me say this again. There's just as much music <laughs> during the running time as there is anything else, dialogue or what have you. We just forget that last bit. I said. Okay, there's a lot. <laughs> well, well, you have to you have to look correct. at the number of look at look at the cast. I'd say about ninety percent of the cast performs music. Yeah. 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 Right. Keeler does. Keeler does. The only. The only ones that really don't are, you know, Klein, uh, you know, Madsen, Maya Rudolph. That's about it because oh, LQ Jones the lunch, does. The lunch lady. The lunch lady, she doesn't. But, I mean, LQ Jones does. You know, Keeler does. You know, the the twin sisters do. I mean, Lindsay Lohan does. You know, no. Riley and uh, Woody do. I mean, like, you know, it's it, it's the majority of it's there, you know. Right. I was going to make one more my final statement on this, um, I was thinking about this. This is a real, obviously, like an obvious contrast, but there's also a, maybe a, a, a more subtle contrast between the first two films that we did um, and and this one. So, you know, the first the first two that we did, please look back for them if you haven't listened to them yet. Um, mm -hmm. Hated the G.G. Allen story and, ladies and gentlemen, the fabulous stains were about characters who were in one way or another going against the establishment for not discarding the old and this is about going tisk tisk to the modern establishment for discarding the old and you know to for you know supposed progress and you know they're saying well what sort of a society have we become if building a car park is progress so it's, it's sort of looking at you know going in going in the opposite direction you know do we do we uh, sort of um 
criticize for hanging on to old things or do we criticize for ramrodding over old things and, and not looking at its intrinsic value do we go to new things just because they're new right so sort of like looking into well what does this thing actually have to offer it actually has something good to offer but well hell it's old so it can't be of any service and that's what i think or you, that this yeah. film sort of has to say as well or you could look at it in a way like whereas you know with with gg allen's hated gg allen was saying man like the current state is dead it's all bullshit you know i mean like i want to put danger or i want to put life back into rock and roll and you know like the current the current uh, system has sucked everything out of it and right. then with the stains you know i mean it, it's like you know uh what's his name uh oh shit now quadrophenia ray, uh, uh, ray winstone yeah ray winstone's telling you know diane ladd um diane lane he's saying look you know like this is all bullshit. You're buying into bullshit. You know, like, you know, like it's like you, you you've got to do something that's authentic. It's it, it's it you know like what you're going into is it's nonsense. You know, don't buy into this, right? right? So you could almost say that all three films, to me at least, my opinion, are very similar because it's it's kind of like you know that whole thing about things changing and you not being able to do anything about it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Fantastic. Yep. Okay. So we do have a link between all three films. <laughs> yeah, uh, I, I can uh, I can see that. It makes sense. Mm, mm, Definitely. Okay. I think right. the, the first two uh, movies as well. It's um, they're kind of about people defining themselves through music. Sure. Um, and this one, not so much. Music is just part of the world that you know we're getting this deep into. So there's you know that's not a connection between all three of them. That's just a connection between the first two. Yes. So right. uh, maybe I shouldn't have brought that up. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the wonderful world of podcasting. Um, yeah, I think I need I need some more practice at this. Oh uh, well, we'll, we'll we're, we're going to give yeah. you lots more. All right. So what we'll do now is we're going to we're going to go take a uh, another quick podcast promo break, and when we come back, we'll say our farewells, and we'll tell you about what episode four of See Here is going to entail. It's uh, Bernie's choice, so look forward to uh, hearing what that one will be. But uh, we'll be back in a moment. You're listening to See Here. In a world where podcasts last over three hours, you have no concepts of time. Balaban Studios presents a stinking pause. Take your stinking pause off me, you damn dirty ape. Starring Scotland. Yeah, be prepared for me to have a little bit to say about that one. And Charles. If Leslie Grantham can do it, then so can we. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Budget cunts. And we're back from break. Hope you've enjoyed episode three of the See Here podcast. This is, as I said earlier, on a monthly show. In some ways, I wish we were on a bit more often because I've just been... You know, really counting down the days till we did this. Um, I've really, really enjoyed it. But, you know, we've all got other commitments. So we keep to this at, at a monthly basis. But you know what, you folks out there, if you feel that you'd like to do a, uh, a bonus episode, you feel that you want to talk about a music-related film, then contact us and we'll set you up and we can put something in between shows. That'd be lovely. So uh, more... We're, we're, we're very much about community. Very much. So right. free to get... We always get take involved. suggestions. We, we, we always do. take suggestions from well, here's, 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 here's the thing. I went and asked the community out there 
I said, look, what music-related films do you like? Please send us an MP3 feedback. You know, I was hoping that, you know, Sly Stallone would come across and, you know, record some feedback like he does for Silver and Gold. But people kept on putting things on the Facebook page. And I said, look, that's nice, guys. Put something in. And actually, our very good comrade in arms, uh, Mr. Eric Peterson, now that I think of it, he's gone and sent us something. But anyway, what we should be talking... I was thinking, too, you talk about music... Music movies, you said sliced alone. Yep, made me think of something. Oh, yeah, what was that? <laughs> Careful, Tim. Rhinestones. Rhinestones. Oh, oh, that's that's already <laughs> that's already been covered by the Silver and Gold crew, but it is the greatest action film of all time, so yeah. uh, we, we, we might have to do that. Sorry, the greatest musical action film of all time. Oh, we know you're qualifying it now, it's just the greatest action film of all time. <laughs> so, I do, um, I'll, I'll see if I can uh, reach out to Sly because I, I do know somebody who knows somebody who knows him, oh, um, and I'll, I'll see if I can get him to uh, to send us some feedback. I'd love that, that'd be that'd be yeah. an honor. That'd yeah. be an honor. He see won't what I do. He, will he give us like a discount? Because I know he charges a lot for personal appearances. Yeah, I think it'll probably only be like half a billion dollars. Oh, so. I can. We can just oh. the budget yeah. will just stretch. Yeah. We so, okay. so uh, Mr. Stickwell, we we do we select these films on a rotating basis. So episode four is your choice. Please tell us what you've chosen for us to uh, to watch next okay, time. Okay. Well. It is a, a British film from 1981 called Babylon, uh, and it's basically about a uh, reggae sound system based in West London uh, in the early 80s. Um, and uh, yeah, I'd say no more than that. We can uh, talk about it next time. So uh, yeah, it's interesting. It's uh, it's also it's on YouTube in its entirety. So uh, if you want to play along at home, nice. uh, you can uh, check it out on YouTube. Fantastic. But yeah, 1981's Babylon. Looking forward to uh, giving that a watch and talking about it next month. And we hope that Wendy comes back from her honeymoon with uh, Matthew Sweet. Or, or sorry, sorry, no, with Bunny Carlos. That's right. Wendy it. Carlos. We, yeah. we hope that Wendy Carlos will come back <laughs> and we'll have uh, some wonderful things to say about Babylon <laughs> next month. So uh, until then, uh, please listen to a whole lot of podcasts, watch a whole lot of music-related films, and just generally be nice to each other. And uh, we'll see you next month. Until then, cheers. We hope you all enjoyed the coffee and the rhubarb pie. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. 
Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any fantasy points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that fantasy points has to offer. That's fantasypoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. Fantasypoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more fantasy points.